thank you, Pastor Crystalline. It is a good day. Jesus has paid it all. We are forgiven, and uh, we have victory. And I don't think of, uh, I can't think of a better thing to celebrate than that news. So on behalf of our pastoral team here at WPA, I want to wish you all a happy Easter. On this Good Friday, I want to focus on the crucifixion of Jesus and the important eternity-shaping conversation that he had with two people during the last moments of his life. The scripture we're going to be reading from today is Luke chapter 23, verses 39 to 43. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. This is Luke 23, verses 39 to 43, just a few verses, and we're going to read this together in one voice. It should be on the screen behind me. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for one of these last conversations that you had with the two criminals on the cross. And really, Lord, there's two responses that we can offer you. And I pray that we would think very carefully today and we would make sure that we are right with you. Father, I pray that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would come upon this place. It would come also upon the airwaves as people hear this message online in the safety of their homes today. But Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to your people the truth of the Word of God. Lord, we need to make a decision today as to where we will be, whether we will be with you or whether we'll be far from you. And I pray today with great hope and with faith and expectancy that there is a harvest of souls that need to be reaped today. There are people who need to make a decision for Jesus and not against Jesus. And so, Lord, we as believers, we pray throughout the remainder of this service that your presence would be made known, that your truth would be proclaimed, that the, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would good. Go forth with power and strength, O God, that the word of God would not return void, but it would accomplish all that you have set it out to do. So lives be changed, mindsets be transformed, hearts be opened, ears be opened, eyes be opened to what the Spirit of God is saying to people today. Lord, give me the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to preach the word with boldness and clarity. We ask for your blessing this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. According to Public Safety Canada's 2016 report, approximately 3.8 million people have criminal records. That's a lot of people. You can imagine that this number has likely risen over the recent five years. Well, another statistic estimated that at least one in every seven people have a criminal record. (laughs) One in every seven? Okay. 
Now, let me put this into perspective for a moment. There are 38 million people living in Canada. That means about 10%, uh, 10 to 14% of Canadians have a serious criminal record. We today have a church, not physically, but collectively, a church of 900 plus children. And if Christianity has no impact on our morality, we could do the math and we can assume that 90 to 110 people at WPA have a criminal record. Man, it's not looking good. <laughs> Let's also factor in that many criminals have never been caught. They remain on the loose. And these crimes may be more petty, however, they are still illegal. And I would estimate then, that add to that percentage, that maybe 20 to 25% of Canadians have some sort of criminal record. And now we're talking about one out of every four or five people where the issue rests is the crossover between law and sin. For example, murder is illegal. We all agree upon that. Murder is also a sin. But you see, gossip is a sin, but gossip is not illegal. One of the immediate challenges we face as we read this portion of Scripture is that our tendency is to distance ourselves from the criminals on the cross in this story. But my encouragement to you today is to embrace it, to see yourself almost hanging on that cross. Now, you might not be a criminal. You might not have a criminal record according to Canadian law, but where do you think you stand when it comes to dealing with God's law? God's law is higher than Canadian law. God's law is higher than any other law. It is the supreme moral, ethical law. So this morning, I want to share about the insults against Jesus, the innocence of Jesus, and the immediacy of Jesus that led to the salvation of one thief on the cross and many others thereafter. First point this morning is the insults against Jesus. We see this in verse 39. The scripture says one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and, why don't you, save us. The people who witnessed the crucifixion, they were such a divided crowd. There were those who were present because they had followed Jesus. They had seen his miraculous power. They had heard his compelling teaching. And then there were those who were present because they despised Jesus. They believed that he was a fake, that he was a phony, that he was a threat to society, that he was a threat to Judaism. There were those who stood up close to the crucifixion, and there were others who stood far off from the crucifixion. Some wanted to make sure that he did die, and others wanted to be near him until he breathed his very last breath. It's important to note that only one of the disciples remained close to Jesus and stayed until the very end. Pastor Kim just read that scripture to us. According to John 19, 25 to 27, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother... His mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. See, John, he's writing about himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. What about the other 11 disciples? What happened to them? Where were they? We know that Judas had already hung himself for his betrayal of Jesus. 
Where are the rest of them then, the ten of them? And it seems that they might be among those who watch from a distance. You see, Dr. Luke, he reports in Luke 23, verse 48, when all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts, and then they went away. Now, what specific insults were uh, made exactly at Jesus? You see, Mark and Matthew, they tell us that the rebels, not singular but plural, heaped insults upon Jesus. The one thief seems to be influenced by those who passed by and the religious elites who hurled insults at Jesus in accordance with Matthew 27, 39 to 43. See, those who passed by, they hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders, they mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. Harsh words, painful words for the Messiah who is hung on the cross for their sins. See, there are two types of insults that I specifically want you to see, and the first is that the people questioned Jesus' identity. Jesus had always allowed others to determine who he was. He commonly used the phrase, but who do you say I am, to move his disciples from the realm of public opinion to the place of personal belief. Some had said John the Baptist, others said Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. You see, in Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter, the disciple, answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. In John eleven twenty seven, Martha answered, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, who is to come into the world. Aware of what people had said about Jesus, this impenitent thief questioned Jesus' messianic identity. See, the, accept, the expectation was that a Messiah would be the king anointed by God to overthrow all the oppressive forces of the Roman Empire and liberate the Jews once and for all. And Jesus' title does not match his predicament, hanging on the cross. See, the difference was that Jesus was not dying to save Israel. He was dying to save all of the nations. He was not dying to save the Jews from their oppression. He was dying to save humanity from their sin. In addition to the title Messiah, the mockers used other titles like the King of Israel and the Son of God to challenge Jesus and his identity. If he is the king of Israel, why is he the one hanging on the cross? If he is the son of God, why isn't God rescuing his own son? And we can rightly identify Jesus, and yet we can still reject him. We can use all the right titles, we can use all the right words, but our hearts can reject him. The second thing I want you to see in regards to the insults is that they questioned his power. 
The impenitent thief not only challenged Jesus to save himself, but to save us, meaning both the thieves and himself from death. And what was the point of Jesus offering salvation to all these people if he could not even save himself? See, if Jesus said that he could do the impossible thing by destroying the temple and rebuilding it in three days, you see, the temple took years to build. But here was Jesus saying he could do it in three days. Certainly, he could come down from the cross if he had all that power. Jesus' previous statement and his present reality, it seemed inconsistent and illogical. In fact, these religious leaders told Jesus that if he came down from the cross, they would truly believe him. What a great opportunity to convince all the people in front of him that he truly was the son of God, that he truly was all-powerful. But Jesus knew that if they had not believed before, they would not believe him now. He was well aware. Sounds very similar to the challenge of Satan early in the life and the ministry of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 9 to 12. See, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, these famous words, and it said, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. See, just because Jesus could doesn't mean he should. He's not going to take Satan on. He is going to show him at the cross that he is defeated. You see, the time had come for Jesus in his life to do the will of the Father. No insult, no challenge was going to convince Jesus to put his Father to the test. The world we live in has not stopped heaping and hurling insults at Jesus. People take his name in vain. They utter his name as a curse word. Atheists argue against the existence of God and of Christ. And the truth is that Jesus went to the cross for us and also for them. But the question is, whose side are you on? Are you with those who grieve for the sacrificial death of Christ or with those who insult the name of Christ? You must choose today what side of the fence you're on. Second point this morning is the innocence of Jesus, verses 40 and 41. The scripture says, but the other criminal rebuked him. I love this, peer rebuke. It's always a good thing. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. The penitent thief unlike the impenitent thief, is revealed as one who did fear God. And in this scenario, we're not talking about that reverential fear, which we understand to mean respect and awe of God, but it's the fear which relates to the outpouring of the wrath of God. See, both thieves had made some significant mistakes in their life. They have lost their way in life, but it's only the second thief who believed in divine justice and eternal judgment. It was Jesus who warned his own disciples in Luke 12, 4 to 5. He said, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. 
Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear him who has the capacity to make a decision about your eternal destination. See, hell is a real place. It's not a fictitious location. Only one person has the authority to decide our eternal destination. And the dead and the great and the small will all one day stand before God's very judgment seat. And those who mock Jesus will find themselves regretting their words and actions before the Father. After all, to reject Jesus is to reject the one who sent him. As the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 31, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It's a dreadful thing. The Pentent thief came to the realization that three people were being crucified, two people were guilty, and only one person was innocent. Jesus was the victim of injustice. The penitent thief was aware that previously a man named Barabbas, a guilty man, had been freed in exchange for Jesus, an innocent man. And now he and his fellow convict on the other side, guilty men, were being killed alongside Jesus as innocent men. An innocent man. The prophet in Isaiah 53, 12, he wrote, He was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Horrible as Jesus' death was, this was no mistake. This was part of God's salvation plan for you and for me. When Jesus hung on the cross, God was thinking about us. See, the great reversal is that the innocent are made guilty and the guilty are made innocent. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he said it this way, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The penitent criminal had a firsthand life experience of what it meant for Jesus to be the very substitute for his personal sin. And though we sorrow in the innocence of Jesus Christ, we are filled with great gratitude for his sin-bearing, for the sin-bearing of Jesus. Otherwise, we would still be people who are living without hope. Aren't you grateful today for the innocence of Jesus and the way he took the penalty for us, for our sin? But let me ask you the question today. How do you see yourself? Like, really, how do you see yourself? As innocent or as guilty? This is the pivotal question for every person in this room today. How do you see yourself? Because if you struggle to answer that question, may I suggest that I, you perhaps think too highly of yourself? If we're honest with ourselves, then we must realize that we're no different than the thieves that are hanging on the cross beside Jesus. We are guilty of the same sentence because of our sin. The Apostle Paul in Romans 6, 23, he reminds us where the wages of sin is death. We all deserve the death penalty. I'm not talking about a prison sentence. I'm talking about a death sentence. It's a little more difficult for us to relate to the pain of this text because we do not live in a country where the death, set, the death sentence is used or exercised regularly. But we do know of other countries that do follow that that punishment. 
Yes, we generalize the crucifixion as something that Jesus did for everyone, but we need to internalize and we need to personalize the crucifixion as something that Jesus did for you and did for me. It's only once you and I insert ourselves into this story that we truly begin to comprehend the true innocence of Jesus. Third point this morning is the immediacy of Jesus. Verse 42 and 43. Then he said, Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today, everyone say today, today, you will be with me in paradise. This penitent thief's request was answered immediately without any delay and realized in just the next few hours and minutes of his life. Where Jesus was going, there he would also be today. Not tomorrow, not one day, not someday, but today. And his last words were a statement of faith in the crucified Christ by believing and confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior. One can receive the gift of eternal life instead of the sentence of death. While hanging on that cross, his ability to believe in the unseen was the result of seeing through the eyes of newfound faith. To believe God has a kingdom is to believe that God is king. And his kingdom, my friends, is not of this world. It's of another world. Jesus knew where he was headed, and he referred to heaven as paradise in several places. The Apostle Paul, he used this word in 2 Corinthians 12, 2-4, when he spoke in third person about a revelation and experience that he had personally. And he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows. Was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. Man, Apostle Paul's a really lucky guy. He saw a lot of cool things in his lifetime. Revelation 2.7 teaches us that the victory victorious in Christ will live in paradise, which is a return to a place like Eden to eat from the tree of life again. You see, paradise is not wishful thinking. Paradise is the real deal. I hope you believe that. We have an idea of what paradise looks like when we read what Jesus reasoned before his departure with his disciples in John 14, 2. And he said this, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? This penitent thief would be welcomed into the father's house, given a room of his own in which he could dwell for all eternity. I'm not sure what you believe about what happens after death, but for believers, we believe to be absent from the body is to be immediately present with the Lord. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We believe that. You might think it's ludicrous, but we believe that because of faith in Christ. It's because of what we see in Scripture. Jesus said it with such great confidence, and so can we say that as well. 
Scripture tells us that our bo- the bodies of those who have died in Christ before us will rise again on the day of the coming of the Lord. And those who die in Christ now are not in a state of limbo. They're not in a place called purgatory. They are in paradise. Therefore, believers do not have to fear death because our spirit will be with him immediately and we will be with him forever more. Yes, our body has to catch up. Yes, we're waiting for the resurrection of the body, but our spirit is with him immediately. My friends today, do you have this confidence? Let this scripture give you the assurance that you need that today, should any of us pass away today or tomorrow or in the days to come, in the months to come, in the years to come, if you have faith in Jesus today, you can be with Jesus in paradise. Don't wait until the end of your life to make the best decision of your life. As we close this morning, as the worship team comes, there's a reason why we call this very bad Friday a good Friday. There's a good reason. And yes, the innocent was treated as guilty and died, but here's the good news. The good news is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is more alive than it's ever been before. It's alive. It's well. Jesus is alive. And the gospel exposes the fact that you and I are violators of the law of God. The gospel addresses the fact that you and I are deserving of the wrath of God, which ends in death. And the gospel teaches us that we cannot be saved by any of our personal works. The gospel declares Jesus Christ and him crucified as the perfect substitute to atone for our sins through whom we receive the great promise of eternal life. So to all the believers that hear me today, both in this place and online, can I encourage you to let gratitude well up from the depth of your soul for the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. I mean, we should not be here today and just going through the motions. This day, the reason why we celebrate Good Friday, not as a bad Friday, but as a good Friday, is is because there's gratitude. There's gratitude in our hearts that is rising within us, and it needs to find its way from staying inside to coming out of our mouth. That we should say, oh God, you're so awesome. You're so amazing. I don't deserve this kind of kindness. I don't deserve this forgiveness. But yet you still died for me. You took my place. You took my sin. You took the wrath. And you give me a fresh start. My friends, that's what he's done for you. So let gratitude well up in the depths of your soul today. But to the unbeliever, and I do believe that there are unbelievers who are listening to me right now, both in this place, online, maybe they'll listen later on in the week. And to you who hear me this morning, ask you a really simple question. What are you waiting for? Really, what are you waiting for? All you need to say is what the thief on the cross, the penitent thief said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And if you do that today, if you just even say those words, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. If you recognize that you've sinned, that you've fallen short, that you deserve a convict's death, and if you receive 
God's words of life to you today. You can have the confidence that I have. You can have the confidence that many people in this room have today. That should we die today, we will be in the presence of Jesus. That is a promise that you can hold on to. I promise you, it will not fail. Let's pray together.